isn't what it used to be. The good news is, you don't have to figure it out on your own. If you're looking for truth, inspiration, and tips for success in the classroom and beyond, you're in the right place. It's time to turn the page to the future of the profession. This is the next chapter for Teachers Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Erin Spinagle, and thank you for listening to episode 27 of the Next Chapter for Teachers podcast. We're down to the last two episodes of the season. And just as an aside, I told myself I would not start a new project this year, but that I could pick something back up that I had started and had to put down for a while when I went back to finish school. So I'm really proud that I have been able to get this podcast going again, and I hope that by listening, you've gained insight and resources to face the challenges teaching presents us with from a personal and emotional standpoint. And stay tuned, because there are more episodes coming in our new season that will be starting after the first of the year. But let's get going on today's topic, which is student behavior because this is being recorded in November. So we are well past the honeymoon phase at the beginning of the year, and we are now entering the holiday season. If you haven't noticed already, who am I kidding? You probably notice it as soon as you walk in the door. The not so great behaviors in your classroom are ramping up. (laughs) And let me just say this now, you are not a bad teacher. You are not less of a teacher. You are not anything that indicates in any possible way that you are not fit to be a teacher just because you're going through a hard time once the holidays come to town. Seriously, after 20 plus years in the classroom, everything you're seeing right now, I don't want to say that um, this is par for the course, but kids get a little crazy around the holidays for many reasons, not just because uh, it's the holidays, but just the fact that that time of the year just brings out kind of the best and the worst in all of us as far as our emotions go. But please don't think that you are not meant for the classroom just because your head is about to explode from all the insanity that has ensued uh, prior to Thanksgiving break or the week of Halloween or anytime there's a full moon or the currently loading December, uh, which is jingle all the way to the end of the year, or the end of the uh, calendar year, not school year, hopefully. It's not you, is what I'm getting at. Once the kids are more comfortable with you also, and they're more comfortable with each other, they will not only test you, but they will let loose with everything they carry around emotionally each day. And that usually presents itself in many undesired, impulsive, behaviors. And if you need more resources on dealing with student behaviors, make sure you go back and listen to episode 20 and episode 21 on establishing the structure behind any behavior management in the classroom. Although those episodes are geared more for back to school, there's a lot in there that you can also implement at any time during the year, 
especially after you come back from a school break. That's a good time to take a hard reset and get things back on track or back in the direction you would like them to go in. You can reestablish control and structure. Or if you feel like you didn't get off to the best start with behavior in your classroom or behavior management rather in your classroom, it's not too late to start. It takes a lot of resolve, but you can do it. You can flip the, the script, but whatever you do, don't give up on teaching your students how you expect things to be in your classroom and how you expect them to treat you and how to treat one another. It is a long haul until May or June, or maybe for some of you, even July. So now is not the time to throw up your hands and just accept how they're behaving from now until the end of the school year. You got to do something. And it might as well be something that gets your ship back on track or helps to keep afloat. <laughs> One of the two. So I've decided to end this year on managing student behaviors because how you approach that is something that you can control. Maybe you can't control how many assessments you'll have to give your class at the end of this semester while the Christmas crazies or the holiday crazies are in full swing, but you can master how your classroom will run and what behaviors you won't tolerate. And also, I know that an unruly class chock full of chaos can truly dampen your joy for teaching. There's nothing that makes you shrivel, uh, shriek and shudder with fear at uh, the thought of going back to a crazy classroom after your Thanksgiving break. But you can be the captain of the ship. No mutiny, my friends. It does take persistence. But if you want to be a teacher and you don't want your class to make you feel like walking the plank, please keep listening. I've got some help for you on the way. So let's get to it. I want to give you three things or three problems that you might be having that you can take action on as soon as you're finished listening to this podcast. And then you can start back after your Thanksgiving break, even if it's just a two-day, three-day break, uh, when you return. And hopefully, you've got a game plan for how you're going to make it to December, and then how you can even reset things further when you come back after the first of the year. So here's your first problem you might be having. Your class is loud, really loud, as in it's like the volume button on the remote is stuck on up, and they're not discussing how much they love writing or their multiplication facts. The conversations get more off topic, and the amount of work getting completed is less all the time with every passing minute that they raise their voice. So that, and I'm somebody who appreciates quiet and thinks best and can do my best work when it's quiet. I know that this can be just a bummer or just a really difficult thing to get through at the end of the day, not to mention the headaches that ensue. My solution to dealing with this over the years has been voice levels. This is something you have to teach your class, but it's worth it. It's not hard. And it's not something that is above them that they can't master within a day. Possibly two, but seriously, a day. And it goes like this. It's basically a volume control that you hold the remote to. And nobody can lose or hide this remote because it's all yours. <laughs> so voice level zero is no talking. Silence. It's beautiful. I love it. Volume or voice level one is a whisper, means that the only person that hears your conversation is the person you're sitting next to. 
Voice level two is a six inch voice in groups, meaning you can talk at a normal voice level that the people in your group can hear, but the group beside of you can't hear it. And this is something that you model and that you talk about and you talk about why you're doing these things. I know that some people call it uh, movie theater talking, like voice level one or grocery store talking for voice level two, but with the pandemic, some of these kids have never been in a movie theater or possibly if they do home delivery or pickup for their groceries, they may not have been to the grocery store. So I just like to call it what it is. Silence, whisper, six inch voice or group talk. That's it. You decide the parameters and you decide what classroom activities should be what voice level. And you can change your mind at any time, teacher. <laughs> Told you, you hold the remote. But you do need to teach the kids what each voice level sounds like, when they use them, and how they can transition from one voice level to another. So when you ask them to go to voice level one, what should that sound like? But this is your chance to take command of the loud. And you can. Don't just accept going into December that, well, it's going to be loud and crazy in here for the next four weeks. No. Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> and don't do that to the kids in your room that need the quiet or need the, the peace and the blank space in the classroom where it's not noisy all the time. Because, I mean, I was a kid that needed that, needed the quiet and functioned best with the quiet. I promise you that it's worth it. When your ears aren't pulsating from the noise, you'll wish you did it sooner. And if you would like some slides and posters to teach and reinforce voice levels in your classroom, I'll put the link in the show notes to some resources that I have that you could download and implement in your classroom tomorrow. So let's move on to problem number two. In addition to being loud, your kids' interactions with each other are off the wall. We're talking impulsive. We're talking demonstrating feelings in ways that are distracting to the learning environment. And that's putting it nicely. We're talking not giving a fluff about those voice levels you taught them and going off the chain with the noise volume again. I know your eyes after Halloween are probably they're ready to pop out of your head based on the things that you saw or heard. But this is where you teach kids to stop. You have to shut it down, make them think, remove them from whatever they were doing, and they come back to what they were supposed to be doing after they take a moment to stop. That means they are out of the game. They are not even removed from where they're sitting in their classroom. You just stop them, shut them down, and they've got to turn it off for a bit. This gives the kids that are affected by these behaviors a break, like I mentioned with the voice levels. You know, kids that can't function with a lot of distractions, those are the ones that really suffer when the, the holiday crazies come to town. But it also gives them a chance by doing this, pulling the kid who needs to take a break, needs to stop aside, it gives them a chance to those kids to work and refocus without those distractions. And it makes the students that are the offenders take a moment or two to think about what they're doing and how it impacts their peers, because we're all responsible for how we interact with each other and how we make each other feel. The best way to stop a student is silently. Yeah, I'm telling you, I like the quiet. <laughs> but they've taken up enough airtime and energy in your classroom that should have gone into learning. It's time to shut it down without drawing any more attention to the issue at hand. 
So you can have a hand signal or a code word you teach your class, and then when you say it or you do it, and you're looking at that student, they stop, or they have to go to a certain location in the room. Or it can also be handing the student you need the address something physical like a stop sign card. And I'll post the link in the show notes, but I have created color-coded stop sign cards and slides for you. The codes match the issue, such as talking, off-task actions. You have to check it out. But they're color-coded as opposed to just a traditional red stop sign, although I did include one of those for you that you could edit. So you don't have to worry about the text that's on the card. Just you can associate the behavior with the color of the card for what behavior you want the students to stop. You have to check it out. It makes more sense if you can actually visualize it. Again, you have to teach and reinforce how the stop signs work. But the goal is to turn off the undesired behaviors as quickly as possible so your class can refocus on learning. Because, you know, there's going to be fun things that happen once the holidays come to town. But that doesn't mean you have you just stop learning the entire month of December or, the, or in the lead up to Thanksgiving break. That's a lot of class time. You know, those two months, that's valuable learning before they break for the start of the new year. So we can't just accept it. We got to do something about it. So that leads me to problem number three. By this point in the year, you've got some repeat offenders. And if you haven't already, you need a paper trail and a means of documenting how you are handling these issues in your classroom and communicating it with home. I know that there's things that are just very distracting to you and that really take away from class time. And there's things that You know, you don't necessarily do anything to cause that student to have that behavior. There's things outside of your influence that they're bringing to school. But that doesn't mean they should be disrupting the learning environment. So you've got to document those things. You've got to have your paper trail. I'm a big, big fan of the paper trail so that you can have the proof that you're working to deal with this problem and you are taking action to not only address it in your classroom, but communicate with home what's going on. Because, you know, they, the parents are responsible too for how their students are influencing the learning environment. So if you haven't already, it's never too late to start with documenting behaviors. Documenting, having students reflect, sending communications home about behavior, it can end. That can end a lot of unnecessary behaviors once you start that uh, that going back and forth, that that uh, dialogue, it's almost like once their cover is blown as to their behavior in the classroom, a lot of those minor things that tend to just end up blowing up over time that students have been doing, they'll start to cease or they'll be thinking twice. Or when you have to talk to them about what they're doing, they know that since you've made a connection to home, they know that they better cut it out before the parent, the, the adult at home, and I won't necessarily call it a parent because it may not be a parent, before the person at home finds out again. So how do you get this paper trail going? Because it's not only helpful to you and for home, but it's also helpful from an administrative point of view if you need to um, get somebody involved from, you know, in your the office uh, to show what you're doing as well. Student reflections are a great way to start. It doesn't have to be very long, just something that's long enough that the student is writing down what they did, what happened, and how they plan to correct the behavior. 
And this is something that can get ho- go home and get signed. Weekly reflection, reflection, sorry, reflections, if you don't want to do like a reflection for every incident. Um, again, no need to be long, just enough like check yes or no to statements and think about your actions, how the week could have been better. Uh, and again, that's something that would go home that could be signed and shared so that there is dialogue or there is some communication with him with how their progress is going or how their behavior is in the classroom. For long-standing issues or for things that students um, might be having issues with, that you just need to have a continuous dialogue with home about what's going on, a communication log that travels between home and school that just gives a quick daily snapshot about what's going on or what occurred that day. There are many ways to quickly capture the essence of what needs to be addressed without adding a lot to your already overflowing workload. Student reflections put the work mainly on them, but a communication log of some sort that is either daily or that you use to document when you do speak to parents or to um, guardians about what's going on home, it doesn't hurt and it doesn't have to take you a lot of time to create or to fill out. If you're looking for something easy to implement, some easy to implement forms that you could start using for documenting and communicating going into the holidays or just to start doing in general, I will have the link below in the show notes to my simple, no nonsense forms for behavior management. And you can use them tomorrow. They are pretty no nonsense to the point you very self-explanatory and you could get your students using them tomorrow or as soon as you go back to school and you could start using them to communicate with your parents about what's going on in your classroom or about how the behaviors are um, occurring in your classroom. So three things. That's all I've got for today. This is part one on student behaviors. Next time, I'm going to deep dive into group work and collaborative learning in the classroom and ways you can get your students to work cooperatively without the chaos. Because this time of the year is a great time to have students work together. They finally have, uh, they're comfortable and they're more established in the classroom and hopefully they're getting routines down and they've had some changes to work together. But we want that group work to occur in a way that they're learning, they're on task, And back to problem one, they're not crazy loud. So that's what we'll work on next time. So until then, remember this. Even when things feel out of control, you are still in charge. It's your classroom, your rules, your presence that sets the stage for how things are going to be and how students can expect things to go. No event or season can take that away from you. With guidance and reinforcement and some deep deep breaths in there every once in a while, you can maintain a classroom that, while not perfect, runs on high expectations, so the focus is on what you have to learn. That's all for this episode of the Next Chapter for Teachers podcast. If you like what you heard, be 
sure to rate, subscribe, and leave a review. Join us next time when we turn the page to the future of the profession. Until then, remember to be different, but more importantly, be the difference. And I'll see you.